You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Statements expressed in the following program do not necessarily reflect those of WWDB, its staff, or management. Inspirational women are increasingly popular in the news and media, but many go unheard and their stories are never told. Women to Watch with Susan Rocco captures the stories of many women who truly make a difference. Women to Watch is the vehicle for developing new leaders encouraging younger generations, and in building self-esteem for future entrepreneurs. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860 and womentowatch.net. Uh, I'm happy to be back in the studio today after a week off. Uh, I wanted to mention to you why I was out last week. We um, actually taped another segment for our Women to Watch on the Road series, and I sat down with Kay Koplovitz, the founder of USA Network, in New York last week. So stay tuned for that video and interview that I did with her. We'll be posting it shortly, uh, most likely the end of this week or, or next week. Um, I want to give a quick shout-out and a thank you as well to one of my uh, favorite listeners, Christine McGinnis who um, I will just simply say has been taking very good care of my mom and dad. So thank you, Christine. Um, lastly, I want to give out our call-in number. If you're listening to the show and you'd like to call in and ask a, a question of our guest, we would love to hear from you. You can do so by dialing 888-329-3306. That's 888-329-3306. Uh, I'd like to uh, welcome to the show this afternoon a very special guest. I'm very uh, excited to have the opportunity to share her story. Her name is Deborah Brenner, and Deborah is the president and founder of Women of the Vine and Spirits. Deborah, welcome to the show. Thank you, Susan. Thank you so much. And as you said, I, I wish we had an opportunity to meet in person, but I'm happy to have you uh, calling in the show as well. Yes, I would like to, uh, in the near future, to meet in person. And where are, you, where are you calling in from today? So I, I am based in Rockland County, New York. Uh, it's just uh, 15 miles north of the George Washington Bridge um, in the, in, you know, from the city. Okay. And is that where your, your main office 
for women. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, listen, I, I would love to start uh, talking to you about your growing up years a little bit. Um, I understand you were born in the Bronx, but you were raised in Pearl River, New York, uh, the youngest of three girls and uh, with mom and dad. And, and I wonder if you could just talk for a few minutes about what that was like um, growing up there. You know, um, I moved, we moved up to the suburbs uh, like many people when they, you know, started having families and left the city. So I was three at the time. Um, and uh, coming into the suburbs, it was a really small, quiet um, town, a wonderful neighborhood. It was a great place to grow up, um, I have to say. It was not uh, nearly as built up as it is uh, today in, in the area. There were lots of uh, farms still around and just a, a, a wonderful place for, for children to be able to roam. And we had so much freedom to get on our bikes to go all around and, uh, you know, just small town USA, which, which I really love being in so um i'm not a huge city dweller um but i did uh commute and work in manhattan for many years but it's nice uh being outside um so it was it was really a wonderful childhood a loving family in a great neighborhood of lots of uh friends and and uh neighbors uh to to play with and to hang out with so where did you um, get your love of science? Because I understand while you graduated with a degree in English and uh, journalism, you actually started with an interest in biology. Yes, I did. I, I have to say as a, as a kid, I was um, a very, very curious uh, kid. I wanted to know about everything. <laughs> so I drove my parents crazy because I was so... Uh, interested in so many different things, it was like I would come home saying I was going to be something different uh, growing up my whole, you know, every day <laughs> every with day. something different. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I would get excited or passionate or learn about something, and that was just, you know, so I guess for me the science side, um, especially growing up and spending so much time outdoors, um, I was fascinated just, uh, you know, um, just on the biology side with with the science of, you know, um, uh, the farms and the trees and the grass and everything that was around me, I wanted to know more about it and how it all worked. You know, that's interesting to me because, you know, obviously I, I have interviewed many, many successful women, and I would say that curiosity is definitely a commonality among women who have achieved great things. That's good to, you know, I never really thought about it because, you know, it, it definitely is what drove me. Uh, I went into the University of Delaware as as a biology major. I came out graduating in arts and science as a uh, English with minor in journalism. So definitely think my curiosity took me down that path. Yeah. I was meant for, for journalism because I was too interested in too many subjects, mm-hmm. and I just couldn't make up my mind that I could delve into just one subject deeply, um, and and that would be my path for the rest of my life. So yeah. the journalism opened up my curiosity, and I got to delve into anything I was interested in. So. Yeah, that's right, through storytelling, <laughs> right? Yes, yeah. yes. And it's a great lesson, I think, as well for young people to understand that, you know, just because you're interested in, in one topic one day does not mean that you cannot stray and take a different path 
um, down the road. Absolutely. I mean, I tell that to my nieces now. You know, like you mentioned, um, I am the youngest of three girls, and I have three nieces. So, they're, you know, I think that's also a big part of what has shaped me is there have, I've never, there hasn't been any boys growing up in our household. I didn't grow up with brothers. I mean, you know, I don't have nephews. And, um, and it's so interesting to see how that can shape me and what I'm doing today. But I tell them all the time, um, not only did I make the change when I was younger, but I also reinvented myself uh, later in life as well. That's right. That's right, and we will be talking about that. Um, so tell me a, a little bit about your, your four years at the University of Delaware. What kinds of activities and things were you involved in outside of the classroom? Um, well, I, I was always a, a very big reader. I, I love to read, so um, I spent a lot of time, you know, in the university also just reading. Again, I think that was a big uh, choice for me to change majors because – I, I enjoyed literature and, and uh, fiction, nonfiction so much. Um, so I did a lot of that. I also was a soccer player, so uh, came out of high school playing soccer and captain of my team in, in soccer. So I dabbled a little bit in, in co-ed, you know, um, uh, soccer at, at college, but didn't didn't actually play for a team, but just in some clubs and um, and things like that. So. And then I, I really um, spent most of my time exploring, meeting people from other majors because it was fascinating to see what other people were involved in. My friends were involved in all kinds of different majors, and um, I think that was one of the most exciting things is to see what they were learning mm-hmm. um, as well because yeah. they, they you know, chose all kinds of – and today it's very different because young people today, uh, entrepreneurial studies is – is everywhere, which did not exist um, when I went to the university. That's right. That's right. Yes, there's entire programs now, right, just to study entrepreneurship. Um, You graduated then um, the University of Delaware, and was it right out of school that you landed the job in television and film? Well, in my senior year, I uh, did two internships in local television stations, so um, my journalism side, I did explore radio and I explored uh, print, um, but I had this opportunity in television. And I mean, showing my age, this was before all of the digital technology that we have today. So I, I got uh, I got hooked on the fact that I was playing with all this equipment that you know none of us uh, could, had at home. Where now you have half of the editing equipment right in your iPhone. So um, that that really was a lot of fun, and upon graduation through a family friend, um, I got hired to work um, at the Olympics in 1988 in Seoul, Korea, as a production assistant for NBC. And so I took my graduation money and bought a ticket and uh, and was off to Korea that wow. September for two and a half months. Wow, so. what, that must have been an amazing experience. It was. I, I, I look back at it now because, again, it was before the Internet and uh, before cell phones, and I think, my gosh, how did I do that by myself? I didn't know anybody. Yeah. And, um, and it was so far away in a foreign country, and I had traveled a lot as a, as a young child, but um, 
of course, uh, you can't even read the signs or anything because it's not using the same alphabet. So I think, wow, I that was pretty brave or crazy. Yes, I, I don't think know that says one. a lot. Of, well, no, I think that says a lot about you because, as you mentioned, there was no, you know, staying in touch. Today, when our our kids travel and they're away from us, we can be texting and checking up on them every day, all day long. Um, Absolutely. I mean, yeah. my niece just did a, you know, her her. Um, studies abroad and we're facetiming i'm thinking you know what was crazy about korea is here i'm you know 18 years old or well i was actually um uh 20 i turned 21 while i was in korea so um i got to celebrate my 21st birthday (laughs) over there but but what was so crazy is that i would have to call home um you know using your dial through through the you know at&t and all of that at eight in the morning to get my parents at 6 p.m the night before you know (laughs) to say i was okay so yeah it was a wonderful experience um i have to say and um again everything that you do in life you don't realize it at the time but it all comes in as as a learning experience to shape us for where we're where we're going did your parents encourage adventure in you and your sisters? My parents uh, loved to travel. So I grew up, um, my parents married for 54 years um, before my dad passed away three, three and a half years ago. So I grew up in a, in a really uh, nice, uh, you know, environment. They, and uh, and my, my parents had a passion for travel. So they instilled that in us very young. Uh, they took us uh, traveling, and uh, I think a lot of that is where my, my passion for the wine industry grew was because my dad enjoyed wine. They enjoyed um, fine dining and traveling, so I got introduced to it as a very young child. They they kind of taught us how to behave so they could take us out with them. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's that's very smart of them. <laughs> so they <laughs> yeah. can continue the travel even though they had, you know, three small children. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So you know, it is what your experience, what you what you learn growing up, and um, and I was, I think that just all of all of us, uh, my sisters and I have have a passion for travel, for cultures, for meeting people, and again, so I think that's where it comes into storytelling. Mm, yes. Yes, I agree. So um, you spent twenty close to twenty years in what one would call a male-dominated field, um, high-end technology. What was that like for you at the time? Did you know, Did you even notice that, you know, you were one of few women or were you just kind of ingrained in the work and head down and doing, doing what you loved? Well, I followed my passion into uh, a, from television into a company that actually uh, – created the technology used in television and in film. And it was, um, you know, uh, we were working in high-definition television in 1992, 93. So that's how advanced they were because mm, most yes. people never even heard of it until the last few years yes. um, here. So um, I, I noticed it um, once I got promoted into more of a management role. When I started there, I was I was a young person working in marketing and training, and I was out in the field a lot. So I was really um, out in you know working with people in television and film studios around uh, the U.S. and also internationally. But as I got promoted um, 
that's when I, it was it was pretty. Um, I was the only woman uh, to become a director at the company in the U.S. at that time. Mm. Um, so there were very few women uh, in in the office that maybe wasn't in an administrative capacity. Okay. So I really was very different. And traveling, I would often be the only woman out of. Uh, uh, most of the dinners that I attended, most of the trips that I attended, and conferences, uh, very, very few women. If sometimes, uh, often, I could have been the only one. And did you, how did you feel, that, you know, in those situations? Did you feel out of place? Well, you know, I, like I said, I think growing up without any uh, brothers in the house, you know, I wasn't accustomed to seeing the gender differences day to day that just naturally occur because you know we were of course my dad was with us but he was my father he wasn't at my age level so um, that's when I really started noticing the difference in how I was being treated compared to my male counterparts uh, how isolating it was um, and uh, you know I I could do just as good a job as any of the, the men there, but at one point um, I was told that uh, I wasn't getting a promotion because they thought that uh, a woman couldn't handle it. And um, I was I was crushed. Now, at that time, you know, I did say we're, I don't think that that's permissible <laughs> to actually say, but, you know, we're talking in a long time ago before, um, women were really talking about these issues, and I didn't have any role models, and I didn't have any, um, you know, real colleagues to to talk about this with. So I accepted it, and sure enough, a year later, um, that gentleman was not able to uh, to do the job that was required, and they ended up uh, letting him go and giving me the job. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yes. yes, that's so, that's amazing. Yeah, you know it's. And a lot of, you know, young women I meet today, and they, they don't encounter necessarily that because um, today what we call it is unspoken bias, right? So then they actually said it. So maybe it was, you knew where you stood. <laughs> today there's still a lot that goes on, but it's unspoken. Mm. So I think the challenges today are quite different, um, but they still remain very much the same. Do you – would you – would you say that it varies field to field, or do you think it's the same, that relationship, uh, business relationship between men and women, um, no matter the industry? Well, I think that, you know, when I, when I wanted to pursue my passion in the wine industry and to, to make a change, I was very disheartened by corporate America. Uh, the, the further I got up the ladder, um, like I said, the more uh, I realized uh, how unhappy I was how isolating it was, especially for a woman in such a male-dominated industry. So, um, you know, I think at that time I was searching my soul for something that I was passionate about, something that that I could, um, that I would want to do. Mm. And um, and I, like I said, growing up with farmland around me and other things, I had a passion and took a trip to California, and that's where I discovered in Napa and Sonoma. Um, all the women that were behind many of the famous uh, brands that I knew and loved but had no idea women were behind the scenes, and I had no idea how male-dominated the industry was. So to answer your question, what I found was 
the feelings and the issues that I was challenged and faced with were the same. Um, I think it does, you know, relate to, to women in all industries. Can you talk about that experience? So that trip to Napa and Sonoma, where you know it really became apparent to you, was there a conversation that you had, or was it just your general observation while there? Uh, it was both, uh, but the conversation was really the catalyst. So it was it was very clear in in, in you know uh, spending some time in researching to look at a career change into that industry. Um, where it resulted with me taking the trip after a lot of a lot of research um, to see if if it was something viable for me, but during a lunch that I had with Karen Cakebread, um, she was introduced to me by a mutual friend, and she used to work for um, um, she worked for Hewlett Packard, so she was in the tech industry before she um, joined uh, Cakebread Sellers and and joined the family business. Uh, with her with her husband at the time, so we started talking about how male dominated both industries were, and that conversation really piqued my interest and um, and of course, my journalist side kicked in when I came back to my home in New York. I started researching for the women uh, behind the scenes, and um, we're talking about two thousand five. 2000, yeah, about 2004, 2005, and it was before uh, the marketing uh, was really looking at the woman consumer. Um, there was very, very little uh, in the wine industry written about these women, um, and that's where it was the catalyst for me to say, I, I want to write this book. I want to know more about it, mm. and, um, and that's what I ended up doing. Um, if you're if you're listening, uh, I'm speaking with Deborah Brenner this afternoon, president and founder of Women of the Vine and Spirits. Uh, my next question really was, what inspired you to write the book? So, other than the fact that you just are someone who enjoys stories and um, you're an avid reader, it you know it takes a lot to it takes a lot of guts, I would say, to write a book in general, right? You're kind of going out on a limb and taking a risk. What was it that truly inspired you to do it, that, that took you from the idea to actually sitting down and doing it? At the time, um, I was going through a, a, a divorce, um, and um, so it was very painful for me. It was a painful time in my life. I was disenchanted in my corporate life, didn't know where I wanted to go, and then found myself getting divorced um, and the circumstances around that. Uh, so it was a very tough time for my life, and when I interviewed the first woman on the phone saying I had this idea, I wanted to write the book, and talking about storytelling, um, that's what gave encouraged me to, to take the risk and to, to write the book because I thought I was going to tell their stories just to help inspire others. What I didn't expect is how much it inspired and encouraged me. Mm. The stories that the women started sharing with me, the trials and tribulations, the blood, sweat, and tears that they had, um, their successes, their failures, their divorces, their marriages, it was remarkable how much they shared. And 
and they just encouraged me. It made me realize that when you put your mind to something and when you're passionate about something, uh, you you can make it work. Um, and they also really encouraged me to take risks because they worked for Mother Nature. So I thought I, you know, had it bad, but they would talk about frost and storms and their harvests, and I just was so inspired by them that I knew that I felt compelled, that I wanted them to be recognized, and I wanted to share their stories because I wanted others to get out of it from the same that I was personally getting from them. Wow. Would you would you describe that as a cathartic experience, writing that book? A- absolutely. Absolutely. I have to say that, it, you know, and it's funny that you say that, Susan, because I've used that that word my, myself when I would, was first going out and talking to people about the book and doing some book signings that it was very cathartic. I, I think that what the women don't realize is how much they helped me heal mm. and move on with my life, mm-hmm. and that's, that's where the reinvention occurred. Um, there was no wanting to go back, um, and I called... Um, a few of the women that I met while writing the book, and I said, you know, what if we went ahead and started the first collaborative wine label of artists and women winemakers and continued our story? And uh, and they said, you know, we're in. And that was it. The, the next steps yeah. were taken. Yeah, yeah. So it's a, a crazy journey. You don't know, but that's um, right. That's right. You never know, right, where one experience is going to take you. Um, I want to mention the name of the book for the listeners: "Women of the Vine: Inside the World of Women Who Make, Taste, and Enjoy Wine." Um, how long did it take you to write the book? Well, the the crazy thing is, I thought I would you know, have more time. And then um, while I was still in the research phase and the interview phase, I started pitching uh, to publishers. And um, and I got a publisher interested, and they said, well, we want it for the holidays. So, um, you know, I needed to have it done within about two and a half months. Oh, boy. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Talk about pressure. <laughs> So I said yes, and then oh. I got in the elevator after a big, huge meeting in a very big, you know, conference room, got in the elevator and said, oh, my God, what did I just do? <laughs> you know, but, again, this is where I like to tell people sometimes, you know, um, opportunity comes to you. And I knew at that point that that was, that was basically saying, you know, Take it. You're you're on the this you know the next step of your journey, mm. um, and there was no way I would say no um, because, again, I wanted to to make it happen, um, and so I said yes, and I you know put my head down and started really <laughs> um, uh, working on it full time. Yeah. So at that time, were you only writing, or you know what was your um source of revenue at that time well the crazy thing is when 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 like i said i was disenchanted and then i found myself going through the divorce and i was really in a very bad uh state and i was commuting to new york city every day and um and i went ahead and i quit my job 
Um, and it was a very big, you know, I was a, a director of marketing and business development in a technology firm. I was making, you know, what people would say very successful mm-hmm. six figures, company car, and uh, all the, the, the nice things that, you know, um, you would have to be comfortable. Right. Um, I'm, I would not advise the listeners to do what I did because now I'm, I'm you know, going to be without any income and without my um, spouse's income, but... For me, it was something I, I, it was my aha moment. And um, yeah. I was freelancing in, in the industry mm-hmm. for, um, for many months as I was researching to go into the wine business to, to continue. But I needed the time. Um, I needed the breathing room. And so freelancing was, gave me that breathing room to say, I need to figure this out um, because I realized it wasn't just a change of, company or a change of, you know, location, it was a a full change in what I was doing career-wise that I was yearning for, and I needed that breathing room. So the freelance gave me that, and and when I got the book deal, that's when I had to give up my freelance time and use my savings and say, this is a sign. I have two and a half months to, to reinvent, to go into something completely new that I'm passionate about, and that's how I ended up, you know, doing that. Mm. You, you know, I would say that's an example of listening to that inner voice, isn't it, and really being brave enough to to follow it. You know, I, I speak to so many women that are yearning for a big change, and um, it is it's very hard, but I have to say now, um, I think what would have been harder is if I spent the last 15, 16 years in something that I was unhappy in. Right. I just, I can't, I can't picture that. Mm. Had I not made, got out of my comfort zone, made myself take that risk, and um, you know, it, it's, it's well worth it. But at the time. Yes, it's very hard. And you have to be willing to make those sacrifices that come with it, you know, because um, it's it comes with a lot of sacrifice. Like I said, you know, you give up a lot. Mm-hmm. But I have to say that even when I was, you know, struggling, I felt I was leading a richer life than I was in my corporate life mm-hmm. because I was doing something I was passionate about and doing something that I enjoyed. Right. Um, We are going to take a very quick break, Deborah, uh, for our sponsors. And when we come back, I want to talk about the artisan women winemakers and the label that you started. We'll be right back. This is Kristen Hillsley, financial advisor of the Foley Hillsley Group, with a big announcement. Last fall, I hosted a Women's Lifestyle Conference to help the women who do it all take control of their finances. Now I'm excited to announce a new partnership with Women to Watch Media to help show women how to own their financial future. We'll have newsletter articles, blog posts, announcements of live events, and a lot more, all available at womentowatch.net and our own website, foleyhillsleygroup.com. I'm thrilled about this new partnership, and I look forward to being your resource for all things financial. Stay tuned to learn more or visit our website at FoleyHillsleyGroup.com. The Foley Hillsley Group is affiliated with Robert W. Baird & Company, member SIPC. 
Log on to FollyHillsleyGroup.com to learn more. That's F-O-L-E-Y-H-I-L-L-S-L-E-Y Group.com. Or call 610-238-6636. Since 1858, Mount St. Joseph Academy has been educating girls to be leaders, founders, and independent thinkers. Students are taught to be collaborative, courageous, compassionate, confident, and spiritual. In this student-centered environment, the young women are transformed by recognizing their own potential and are encouraged to use it to make a difference in the world. To learn more about Mount St. Joseph Academy, go to www.msjacad.org or call 215-233-3177. That's msjacad.org or 215-233-3177. Welcome back, everyone, and thank you so much for listening to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB, Talk 860, and womentowatch.net. My name is Sue Rocco, and I'm speaking this afternoon with Deborah Brenner. Deborah is the president and founder of Women of the Vine and Spirits. And uh, just before the break, we were, you know, talking about your courage to kind of step away from a corporate job that really was not fulfilling for you and uh, writing a book. And, of course, what that led to was your idea to develop a first-of-its-kind collection of, of seven artists and women winemakers um, from Napa, Sonoma, and Paso Robles. Did I pronounce that right? Yes. Okay. Yes. So for, my first question is, how did you find these seven women? Well, uh, most of it came through the research um, I was doing for the book. So um, so two of the women I met while writing the book, and then the others, it was because we were looking for particular varietals and particular, um, you know, wines that we wanted to introduce and produce in the portfolio. So that's how uh, the other women uh, came on board as well. Uh, The remarkable thing is that, once um, other women started hearing about what we were doing, um, I started receiving emails from women around the world, from Greece, from Spain and Italy and, and France, um, saying, you know, how can, how can we get involved? Um, so it was really remarkable to see um, that people were recognizing that, that we were this collective of, of women you know, coming together. Yeah. Obviously, the objective for me was really the fact that I wanted to raise awareness of women that were so under-recognized in, in such a male-dominated industry. However, what I didn't realize is that, you know, having to produce and sell the product, so the winemakers did what they did well, and uh, my role in, in the, in the uh, collective was to do the sales and the marketing, and in the United States, you have to go through a distributor. So it's it's quite a, a difficult process in selling the wine. Um, and, um, and at the end, we had a, a good seven years, um, but at the end of it, it, it wasn't achieving what we, what we had hoped in raising the awareness um, because our, our message was just uh, – it was hard to get it out there through – through the, the channels that mm-hmm. were available. And this was, you know, just prior to direct-to-consumer sales for wine. So 
Um, you know, we uh, today, um, you know, many wineries are, are really utilizing social media and everything else. Um, but we were, I, I think, a little bit before our time. <laughs> so, yes, yes. Um, well, and it must but, it's extremely competitive as well. Would, would you happen to know a statistic on how many winemakers there are, even in, in just the U.S.? Well, it's extremely competitive. I mean, just wineries alone, when you look at all the wine and the fact that wineries, you know, are, are now uh, in every 50 states in the U.S. alone, mm-hmm. um, the amount of wineries that, that now are, are there. But then look at it. It's, it's the oldest globally traded industry in the world. I mean, wine, you know, was produced back in the Mesopotamia days. So um, on a global scale, there's also so the, the the competition is 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 massive, right? Um, and um, yes, yeah, so it's it's a whole different uh, different level, uh, like you're saying. And as far as women winemakers, um, you know, there isn't a full statistic internationally, but California, as of today, about 10 percent of the winemakers are are women. Yet more and more women are going through the enology departments and graduating, but there are also uh, wonderful, incredible, powerful women in all sectors of the industry today. Mm-hmm. But um, but it, we still have a, a, a ways to go. <laughs> yeah. Well, when you look back, Deborah, of course, the, the sales and the marketing of the company is always one of the greatest difficulties for for any business and with the advancement of technology today um, do you look back and think had you had those resources there things might have been different you know I think um, I think some things would be different but all in all I mean I I have the utmost respect uh, for all the the men and women in in the industry and and you have to be passionate and love because it is uh highly competitive on a global scale and it's 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 very difficult even with the resources that you have mm-hmm. um and also because you you're you're also working with a product that you know it's not so much on the spirit side because spirits you can make all the time but with wine it is uh it's produced in the vineyard so you get once a year to really craft your, you know, your product. Right. Um, yes. It's not something that you can uh, do all the time and and work to perfect it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it and then Mother Nature right. is in control. Mm-hmm. So it's it's quite quite a process. But I have to say that that the years that I had the wine brand and working with the women winemakers and working with our distributors and our retailers and and restaurant, it was. Fabulous, and even even when we we kind of felt, you know, financially, where do we go next? What do we do? Um, I I knew that I was staying in this business. That that was it. This was the business that I fell in love with because I fell in love with the people. Well, how wonderful that is that you went through that experience and it didn't deter you. You know, you didn't take that as a sign, now I need to do something different. I, You know, I wonder if you can share with the listeners how you moved through that time because, you know, entrepreneurs put so much of their blood, sweat, and tears, as they say, into creating a business. And to have it not um, sustain is incredibly difficult. You know, you've described this yourself as one of your greatest personal and professional um 
Well, you, you use the word failures, but I think, you know, we should in business always look at a failure as, as a lesson. But talk about how, you know, what was it that got you through that time? Once again, I have to say as a, as a reader and a storyteller, um, which is my passion, it was, um, it was reading lots of books by entrepreneurs, um, you know, Richard Branson reading his stories, um, his failures, uh, his vision, his perseverance, um, people like, like him and many others. And it also was um, a lot of the women that I met along the way um, that really, you know, got me through it. I knew financially it wasn't sustainable. It wasn't happening. And um, I was sitting in my office one day, and I was just, you know, I hung up the phone. I'm, I'm typing on the computer. And I just put my head down and, and cried. And I just knew. I said, you know, I, it's 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 time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know when it's time. Yes. Right. Uh, you do everything as an entrepreneur to, to keep it alive. And um, and then at, at some point you just realize that, that it's, it's time to let it go. Right. You know, you got to let your baby go. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, and that's I think I think that's the hardest is when, because I'm I'm not a quitter and I, you know, want to persevere as much as possible, but you do have to reach a point of saying, you know, when do you when do you realize that it's time to let go? Um, what I'm very grateful, like I said, is I didn't want to let go of this business. I didn't want to let go of the, the industry and my passion for it. Um, and what I had to do was, was look at what did I have and where, where could I take it. Mm. And I think for a lot of entrepreneurs, it doesn't necessarily have to be completely gone. And what I'm, I'm most proud of is the fact that it evolved that's right. into what it is today. Right. And I truly feel that I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today. Um, and believe it or not, Sue, what I'm doing today actually speaks more to my vision of wanting to champion for women in such a male-dominated industry that's exactly than what right. I was doing before. That's right. Um, that, yeah, that's exactly right. Um, if you're just tuning in, I'm speaking to Deborah Brenner, president and founder of Women of the Vine and Spirits. And so, Deborah, you did you did exactly that. You moved on, and in March of 2015, you organized the inaugural Women of the Vine Global and Spirits Symposium. And again, t- that's taking another risk and and being gutsy because that takes a lot of. Uh, work and preparation and collaboration, and you want this event to be successful. Um, let me ask you this. What was your mission at that time in deciding to do that? It was the catalyst for me to do it was a conversation I had with a gentleman um, named Ben Salisbury who um, worked at Constellation at the time knew what I was doing when I had the collective wine label, had reached out saying, you know, I love what you're doing, you know, I'd love to see how maybe I could get involved in someday. And and then he was leaving a big corporate job himself, taking a huge risk to go out on his own. And it it prompted a phone call. Um, And during our conversation, um, that's when I, you know, shared with him that, that the collective label was, shutting down that it was it was time to let it go but um during the conversation 
and and speaking with him about the women that reached out to me, what was so remarkable was I realized that, like I said, people were reaching out to me saying, how can I get involved? I'm, And they were using the word. They're saying, I'm a woman of the vine. I'm in Spain. Mm. My oh, sister's so a woman of the vine. Yeah. She's a sommelier. Wow. You know, my mom is a woman of the vine. She's in viticulture. She works for a distributor. She works, um, you know, for, for a steakhouse. Or she, you know, is a buyer at, at, you know, a grocery store with wine. So, this started happening, and, uh, and it happened before. What I realized during this phone conversation, and then I went back and I started reading those emails that encouraged me all those years, and they were saying, how can we be involved? And I'm thinking, be involved in what? I don't have an organization. <laughs> but you well, did. What are we going to be involved in? <laughs> and that's when the light bulb said, wait a second, you know, I belong to National Association of Women Business Owners. I belonged when I started this business to the Rockland Business Association, to the Women's Business Network, uh, you know, and I said, oh, my gosh, you know, there is no form. There is no organization for women in this, you know, very difficult industry, uh, very traditionally male-dominated industry, for us to come together. And what I realized is not only was there a need, but there was a demand by the women because they were reaching out to me and thought already that that's, that's what this, this small little collective of seven of us they wanted to be a part of. You know, it's so interesting to me because it's almost as if you had your members before you even created the organization. You know, I think, I think you're right because... Like I said, there was seven of us, but the perception, and, and it was because we did garner a lot of media. You know, we just couldn't turn that into the sales that we needed to sustain after seven-plus years, which mm-hmm. was a good run, but but we we had no shortage of attention. I mean, people were inviting us to host wine tastings with the New York Women's Bar Association. I Three years in a row, I was at the State Department for National Women's History you know, Month and, and Women's History Day. We were at the Kennedy Center for Vital Voices um, for, for their big gala event for you know, human rights as women's rights. And so people were seeing, like, wait a second, if we want to celebrate the spirit of women breaking the glass ceiling in other industries, we want to celebrate with Women of the Vine. So that's what, you know, we got a lot of a lot of attention. And mm. so to your point, women were reaching out saying, how can I get involved? And from all sectors, from women in banking that finances, uh, you know, uh, wineries and distilleries and, and, and craft breweries to women uh, legal counsel to cooperage and um packaging design so it it was it was coming from so many different areas of the wine and spirits industry and that's what um led me to take the chance what i thought could be a a one-off event um you know i said okay i'm going to take a risk uh it was a huge amount of money. You can imagine, you mm-hmm. know, signing on the dotted line to put on, not knowing if I'd sell one ticket or get one corporate partner. Mm-hmm. Yep. I 
prayed for 250 people to show up, and we sold out in 12 weeks to 500 people. Um, the tickets sold. The corporate partners started coming on board. The largest wine and spirits distributor in the country came on board first um, with Southern Glaciers Wine and Spirits, and then all of a sudden, you know, Young's Market and RNDC and Breakthrough and Horizon and Martinetti, and and then the suppliers, the the Gallo and Rodney Strong and and Bacardi and and it just started oh and it snowballed yeah. Yeah. and it snowballed um, that it couldn't be a one-off event. You can't be a catalyst for change. Um, and we created a movement, and so it had to be year-round. So the summer after hosting the inaugural symposium in March, I spent that summer building out the year-round trade organization. And today, um, it's now international in scope. That's amazing. That is amazing. You know, it kind of it kind of guided you. It just you know um, developed and and organically grew. And again, you know, you had you had the members, people that wanted something that they could be a part of that would provide the support and the resources and the celebration of it. Yes, and yeah. I, the thing is that what the individuals what what the individuals wanted was they this was a void that has existed for so long. Um, I have women on my advisory board that have been in this industry for thirty plus years and never had an opportunity to network to mentor each other the learning opportunities um, in all facets of the industry because it takes so many people in so many different areas, right, from production and growing to, to sales and, and putting it on a shelf. Um, so we, like I said, for the individuals, this was just something that they craved to be able to come together and the camaraderie. Right, um, the, and, community, and the community, the community building, yeah. The support, the the mentorship, and then for the corporate partners, what was so remarkable to see that these companies were coming out and supporting our mission by financially supporting our efforts and getting involved is that they realized that this was an opportunity finally for them to demonstrate to their employees and to potential employees, which creates for retention of of great talent mm -hmm. and, you know, basically, you know, uh, recruiting new talent, but also to tell the industry at large that they truly support gender-diverse um, teams and they're developing talent, and they were able to, you know, really come on board and start working together. And I have to say that now in just a short amount of time, um, in, in, you know, going into our, our third year, uh, the, the alliance has become a catalyst for uh, increasing gender diversity initiatives uh, in the industry. So we're actually hosting our first executive summit this September, um, September 13 in New York City, and it's a full day of the industry influencers coming together strictly to share our practices of uh, diversity and in women's initiatives, mm. so that we can start working as as a you know an industry unit towards um, having more women in leadership roles. Um, not only does it make sense, you know, because 67% of wine consumers are women, 
So we dominate in wine, we dominate in spirits, and yet we need to, it, it makes sense to have more women leaders in this industry, especially because the women consumer is driving the trends. And so at the end of the day, it's good for the bottom line for everybody. That's right. That's right. That's fantastic. Um, we, we just have a few minutes left, Deborah. Tell me, tell me about this year's event, and um, and tell me what about the business model for the symposium. So for the Women of the Vine and Spirits um, Trade Alliance, it's now a year round. We have a job board, discussion boards. We do webinars. Um, so we have many components of educational. Uh, we um, also just um, awarded. Uh, four recipients out of our Women of the Vine and Spirits Foundation with the scholarship fund. So we're very proud of starting that. Um, that's a, a new endeavor as well. And as far as the business model, like many trade organizations, uh, we offer individual membership. So individuals that would like to join the alliance and have access to our network and, and our programs and our activities and our events um, that's $150 to join annual dues. And then we're supported um, by our corporate partners, and there's many different corporate partner levels from associate all the way up to diamond levels so that we can be inclusive to uh, corporate partners of all sizes. So we have small companies. We have small family-owned wineries all the way up to, like I said, the largest distributors, uh, the largest supply you know, companies like Constellation and Diageo and things like that that are, you know, treasury wine that are in the world. So we really offer a diverse package um, for people. And that's, that's really the business model is through, through our membership and our corporate partners. And then we, we are anchored by the annual global symposium. So all the activities we do during the year, we've expanded into Europe. Uh, we'll be hosting some workshops at um, – Wine to Wine in Verona, Italy. Um, in December, uh, we are hosting the summit. We're going to be in Paso Robles, actually, um, on the 26th. We're hosting regional events. Um, so there's, there's a lot of activity, as well as mentorship programs um, to basically ensure for the next generation of leaders. You know, you've done an incredible amount going into only your third year. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot. I mean, really, it, it, this started in 2015, and, you know, we're halfway through 2017, and my goodness, look how much it has grown and expanded, and it's doing great, great things for women. Well, it's, you know, I have the women to thank, and I also have to thank all of the men that are involved, because we encourage uh, the men to, to participate with us. Um, this isn't, you know... Uh, something in a movement and a catalyst for change, we're going to do this together. That's right. And the support that we've gotten from, from the male executives is they want to see the women, um, you know, step up and, and, and say, you know, we, we want to, to have more executive leaders. Um, so they're, they're a great part of our support. And um, so we, I have all of them to thank because Honestly, I like to say I, I'm like, you know, I am started this, I founded it, but without their support, and like you said, look at how much we've accomplished in such a short period of time. And I think that's because um, 
we ha- a movement has many people, right? So it's not just me. It's all of the men and women out there that are, you know, rallying around this mission and this this support and wanting to do so much more. I mean, I just wish we could, you know, uh, do more and more, um, and we're growing very, very quickly. Right. Um, and the future is uh, to keep, you know, keep giving education, um, mentorship, and opportunities really is what it's it's all about. Well, um, I'm exci- and- I'll be excited to continue to follow you, Deborah, and your work, and, and perhaps we might be able to, to collaborate on something together at some point. Um, I thank you so much for joining us this afternoon and, and sharing your story. It's a great, great story. And we'll be sure to share your contact information and, and website and all of that good stuff with our listeners. Thank you so much for having me on the show. And I really, I, I hope that my story can just inspire others no matter what they wanted to do. Um, but it is, you know, obviously our passions, um, our storytelling that, that, you know, unites us all right. as yes. women. Yes. And um, so I'm, I'm proud to share mine and hope that it helps inspire others to step out of their comfort zones and, uh, and pursue their passions as well. Yeah, I have no doubt that it will. Thank you so much, Deborah, and and enjoy the rest of your week. Thank you. You too, Sue. Take care. That's it, everyone, for another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860 and womentowatch.net. Be sure to visit our website for all things pertaining to the show at womentowatch.net. That's women, the number two, watch.net, N-E-T. Have a great week, everyone. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.